And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Our message is a word. And our duty is to preach it, to speak to others what God has spoken to us and given us in the scripture. Hundreds of millions have never had the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my dear friend, we, we, we must be dynamic in our evangelism. How many souls have you passed and won for Christ this year? It's a humbling thing to come to the foot of the cross and repent of your sins and receive Christ. But I tell you, no man shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless he comes. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forever, then amen. Well, I am so honored this weekend to introduce a dear friend of Mark's and mine, Christine Kane, who is going to close out our Voices series. And uh, Chris travels the, the globe preaching and teaching and advocating for justice on loan from Hillsong Church in Australia. And um, Chris and Nick started the A21 campaign, which is an anti-human trafficking organization that is committed to ending slavery. And NCC has been able to partner several years with them with trips to Greece, which has been awesome. And um, one thing I love about Christine is that she has a desire to see the captive set free, both physically and spiritually, but even more than that, she has a passion to build the church. And um, she is, if you have heard her at all, fueled by the Holy Spirit. And she has been such an influential voice in the life of NCC over the years. And so I am so excited to hear what she has to say to us this weekend. Will you welcome with me my friend, Christine Kane? How much do we love Laura? Yeah, totally. I do. And Pastor Mark, you're awesome. I feel so at home here. So if you all don't know me, I'm your like Australian wild crazy aunt. And um, so you, you just, you know, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. And you might not know it. And then the team goes to Greece. And because Greek is my first language, and but I was born in Australia, but um, the headquarters for the A21 campaign is in Greece. We're in 10 countries around the world, but it's in Greece. And your crew, our crew loves you guys because you go over and you help our church at Zoe Thessaloniki. And um, we've got so many more mutual friends than you know. So, you know, you're kind of like here in DC. I feel like a little bit like God when I come to NCC because um, you're sort of like omnipresent. I'm here and I'm in seven locations this weekend. It's awesome. <laughs> So whichever location you're in that you're listening to me, that's fantastic um, because it's just awesome. Now, you're a bit worried about my theology before we even start, but, but your church is like messing up most people's theology around the world. It's okay. I'm <laughs> you're messing up a lot of religious stuff, so it's, it's really good. So we love you and we thank God for you. We thank God for this house. 
because, um, you know, what God has done through this house to inspire uh, mission and evangelism and prayer, um, obviously through the, the, the books of your pastor and um, even just the whole model of church. I know throughout Europe, there are so many different people, our own people in, um, in you know, Greece, our very, very good friends, Tony and Jamie Sebastian, have, have uh, kind of set up their whole coffee shop, the iHeart Coffee Shop in Thessaloniki, modelled on this. So you don't, uh, Greece has not had a revival since 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote uh, letters to so many of the Greek churches, and it has been quite barren and dead. But, you know, we're seeing things happen. And so you don't even realize that being faithful to God here, you're inspiring a work of God on the other side of the world. And we are so grateful. So I want to thank you because you are so inspirational to our people. I'm going to jump right into the word. I'm both Greek and a woman. So I only speak three ways, hard, fast and continuously. That's for sure. So you better strap yourself in. That's for sure. Whatever location you're in, this this video is just going to get faster. So strap yourself in. We're going to go to the book of Mark chapter uh, 6 verse 30. A lot of scripture we're about to read. Scripture tells us the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. They were not Greek. They did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat before the food court closes at the Jerusalem Mall. I'm just wondering if anyone's even following what I'm saying. I could be making up anything and you wouldn't even know, but that's all right. It's actually there in the original Greek. I studied it intensely and it was there. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So no brown grass, just green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Everyone say broken pieces. Broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, which means they were freaking out because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake, as you would. Why get a boat when you can walk? He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. A lot of scripture this weekend, but 
22 verses that you really can't read one story without the other. Very often, if you've been around church life at all, you might hear one of the stories taught, and maybe you're very familiar with it, the story of the loaves and fishes, and the other story of Jesus walking on water to the disciples and getting into a boat with them in the middle of a storm. But really, the story starts where every story starts, before the story starts, and the story ends after it ends. And it starts on a mountainside where the disciples had obviously been teaching and preaching and they came to Jesus to give an account of all the things they had taught, Scripture tells us, because you're not an entity unto yourself. You can't just go out and say whatever you want to whoever you want. There, there needs to be accountability for everything that we teach and everything that we do. So they were being accountable to Jesus, but Scripture records that they had not even had a chance to eat. Now, there's nothing ever incidental in the Bible. That wasn't there for no reason. It's setting up the whole story. So we know already right up front the disciples are hungry because they had not even had a chance to eat. So Jesus says, you know what? You need a break. We all need a break. You've been working really hard. We're going to get in a boat. We're going to go by ourselves in a boat to the other side and we're going to have some rest. That's what we're going to do. We're going to eat and we're going to rest. And so they get in a boat and they go to the other side. Now one would think that this would be really simple. Because he's talking to his 12 disciples. That's what this story shows us. Now, I need to know, the Bible tells us here that 5,000 men, the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000, uh, 5, which means 5,000 men had turned up to this place. Because that's how you counted in those days. That before Jesus and his disciples got there, 5,000 men. Now, if you included women and children, which I love to do. I am a woman. I was a child. So if you include women and children... It wouldn't be inaccurate to say there would have been at least 15,000 people there. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, let's get to the other side. Now, this is before Twitter. This is before Facebook. This is before Instagram. This is before CNN. This is before Fox News. This is before global satellites. This is before cell phones. This is before mass marketing campaigns. So before he had an ability to get the word out, he was just talking to them. I want to know what was so compelling, what was so magnetic, what was so attractional about this man that 15,000 people without any mass global communication ended up getting over to the other side before he even got there. You see, church, there was a time when Jesus was enough. There was a time when you didn't need the next little thing to get you to church or to get you to a conference. It was enough that Jesus was going to be in the house. And if Jesus was going to be there, we were going to get there, not during the second worship song, not during the third worship song. Some people think think we're worshiping because we're just waiting for all the late people to come to church. There was a time when Jesus was enough for the church. And if we in a nation can turn up and the presence of God himself is enough to get us in the house, we would have the rest of the nation running to the house of God. Because if God matters enough for his church, he'll matter enough for everybody else. And so I'll breathe. You can clap. It's okay. How's that? You're all like, is she going to breathe? Is she going to breathe? And so what happens is they turn up and they get there. Now, the disciples, they go up to Jesus because apparently they're still hungry, obviously. And so they, they do what every leader does. They go to Jesus and they go, Jesus, the people are hungry because when we want to get our own way as leaders, we just blame you. And so they were going up and they said, Jesus, you better send all the people away to get something to eat because they're obviously hungry. Now, we know from the text that they're hungry because they have not had a chance to eat. So when Jesus is getting ready to, a to do a miracle, this is what he does. He does it every time. He turns around to them and he says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. To which they think he has actually asked them a question. He hasn't asked them a question. He's given them a directive. But they think that he has asked them, why 
can't you give them something to eat? So they begin to answer, well, this is going to take eight months of a man's salary. There is no way. You know, we, we all do that. Because more often than not, we are the answer to our own prayer. But what we do is we end up saying, you know, Jesus goes, I want you to do something about it, Christine. I know this is what happened with the A21 campaign when I was in the airport in Thessaloniki, Greece. And I first found out that there were still victims of human trafficking on the earth. And I'm thinking someone should do something about this. And then I remember distinctly in Thessaloniki in the Electra Hotel when I was sitting there preparing my message for the women's conference and I felt this incredible sense that I was supposed to do something. To which then I thought it's really important for God to know why I couldn't do this. And I thought obviously he had no idea who he was asking. He didn't realize that I was 40, that I just had my second child. That in itself is a feat to be 40 and pop out another one. And so, you know, I just had my second child. He evidently did not know that I lived in Australia and that was really, really far from Greece. He evidently didn't know this involved Serbian and Russian mafia and they like kill people. And he also did not really know that I knew nothing about trafficking, my degrees in English and economic history, so I can count to 10 and read golden books. You know, I had no idea. He evidently did not know that I was a woman. He obviously overlooked the fact that, you know, there's, I didn't have a spare 10 million bucks to go and run some kind of anti-trafficking organization. And so I began my list because it's so important that we remind God. I know that he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, but he obviously has no idea who he's asking. So it's but God. I can't do this, but God, don't you know? And at the time, Greece was on the verge of economic collapse. And, you know, I felt it important to, to remind God of that. Since then, we've permanently bankrupted the planet. It's okay. But back then, we were on the verge of economic collapse. And I'm like, but God, and, and Wall Street was just about to collapse. And I'm like, but God, but God, you know, I've just had another baby. I could just imagine him in heaven going, whoa. Oh my God, no, I am God. All three of me, what am I doing? I'm having an existential crisis. Okay, this is like really stressful. Did we know that Chris had a baby? Peter, did we have a baby shower for Chris? Is there something? Did we miss that baby? Does anyone know she lives in Australia? That's like really, really far. Um, do, I, I'm a bit rusty on my earth geography. Someone bring me a GPS. Someone bring me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like a bit, you know, I don't know where I'm asking her to go. That's amazing. Oh, wow, wow. Wall Street. Oh, no, it's about to have a collapse. Mr. Dow Jones, we don't know who he is, but he's having another schizophrenic attack, and apparently everyone gets really depressed every time he goes down. But anyway, so we're trying to work this out. I know that I'm the, you know, God, I woke up one day, I went, Earth, oops, look what I did, but that's okay. Apparently Mr. Dow Jones is more powerful. So what happens is we just treat God like he's an imbecile, obviously. But God, Moses did the same thing in Exodus chapter 3 when the Lord said, look, I'm going to have, I'm going to set all of these Israelites free from slavery and captivity. And Moses, I'm going to do it. I, I'm just sending you in. And then, you know, Moses is like, but God, I'm not eloquent. And I imagine God's like, whoa, that was the deal breaker. I don't know how I'm going to part the Red Sea. It all had to do with your eloquence. That was the deal breaker on the whole deal. That's how absurd. And it all sounds so pious, doesn't it? But God, I can't. But God, I'm hopeless. But God, I don't have enough. But really, the, you know, it sounds so humble, but the root of it is pride. Because what we're actually saying is my limitations are greater than God's supernatural ability to do something in and through my life. And so it's not about what I can't do or who I am not. It's about who He is and what He wants to do in and through our lives. It's got a whole lot less to do about me than I even think. It's about Him. And so we go, but God, but God. You know what we need in the body of Christ? Seriously, we need a very serious batectomy. 
We need to get our big fat butts out of the way because it's not about what we can't do. It's about what He wants to do in and through a church that would dare to believe Him, that would dare to believe that He is who He says He is, that He can do what He says He can do in His Word. And so they tell Him why they can't do it like we all do. I'm too busy. I haven't got the time. I don't have the right education. I don't have the right uh, credentials. I don't have the right contacts. I don't have the right background. Oh, we love to give God a list. Surely you've picked the wrong person. I couldn't serve in the kids' ministry. I couldn't serve. I don't even like kids. It's not part of my gift mix. It's not where I fit on the disc profile. It's not my love language. We write Christian books to excuse Christians from being Christians. It's awesome. There is only one love language. It's called die to self. But anyway, so the point is, if by the end of this weekend, whatever campus you're on, whatever location you're at, if you haven't filled in and served all those areas. <laughs> and so what happens is, Jesus goes, he ignores them like he does with us, rolls his eyes. Really? You're done? And then he says, what do you have? Go and see. Because Jesus knows that the ingredients for a miracle are always in our midst. But Jesus cannot multiply what we do not recognize. So he says, I want you to go and see. You need a breakthrough in that area. There's a seed. There's an ingredient for the miracle there. Give me something to work with. You want to see a breakthrough, give me something to work with. It's why we bring our tithes and offerings into the house of God. It's why we sow our gifts and talents into the house. He goes, give me something to work with. There's a seed. So the ingredients for a miracle are always there. So could you imagine the crowd, the boys? The 12 boys are going around the crowd. Hey, Jesus wants to feed 15,000 of you. Now we told him that the food court's going to close, but apparently he thinks... We could do this thing between us. So who's got some spare food? Whose mother packed an extra lunch for 15000 Anyone got some spare Ezekiel bread? Anyone got some anchovies? We're desperate. We'll take white bread. We know the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. But we will take anything right now. We will take anything. And so do you think in that crowd, church, there was only one little boy with his lunch packed that day? Oh, I guarantee you there were plenty more lunches packed, but this is what happens every time we present a need. What we do is we see the enormity and the magnitude of the problem or the challenge or the need. And we think because we can't do everything, we end up doing nothing instead of the one thing that would activate something. Jesus never says, I want you to do everything. He says, what do you got? I'm only asking for what you have. I can't multiply what you don't recognize. And if you're going to hang on to what you have, I can't do anything with it. The needs for every church to be met are within that church at all times if we understood that God's not asking any one of us to do everything. He's just asking all of us to do something, the one thing that he's asking us to do. And so what he says is, there's this little boy, this little boy that goes, you know what, you can have my anchovies and you can have my Ezekiel bread. Do you know it's interesting? Did you notice who gave the ingredients for the miracle that day? It was the little boy that was uncounted that provided the ingredients for the miracle that counted. There were only 5,000 men counted that day. Isn't it interesting to me how God uses the ones that are uncounted, the ones that everyone else discounts, the ones that everyone else thinks you don't count. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not eloquent enough. You're not resourced enough. You're not good enough. It's just like God to say, I might take the ones that everybody else has discounted, put the seeds for the ingredients of a miracle in their hand because I know that they're going to give it to the one that can make that count. So it was the little boy that was uncounted. You know who packed his lunch that day? 
if you know anything about this time in history, it really wasn't his father. Now, if you come to my house today, it would be very different. But back then, it really wasn't his father. It was his mother. Do you think that woman thought when she was packing that lunch that day that she was packing the ingredients for a miracle that I would be talking about 2,000 years later in D.C.? You know the stuff that you do that you think is insignificant, it doesn't matter? You know, I'm not Chris Kane. I don't run a global anti-trafficking organisation. I just pack my kids' lunch or I just turn up to, at work every day or I'm just faithful in my place where God is. But all the stuff that you think doesn't count, it all counts. It all counts. And so he gives it over and they bring it to Jesus. Now, can you? Im- I could imagine Peter. See, Jesus, if you just had done it how we told you, now it's too late. The food court's closed and all we've got after all this time of asking everybody is five loaves and two fish. That's all we've got. And I could imagine them murmuring, grumbling and complaining, rolling their eyes because this is, see, Jesus, we did it your way. We did what you told us to do. Now, Jesus, we could have made you look better than this. If you had just done it our way, if you had to just fit, fit, fit into our program, our strategic plan, our budget, our structure, we would have made you look good. If you had to fit into our projects, if you just had done it how we wanted, you would, we, we wouldn't all be embarrassed now. Now we've got 15,000 people here and we just got five loaves and two fish. If you had have just done it our way, we would have kept your reputation really good. Because that's how we kind of treat God. And I could just imagine Jesus thinking, wow. So you think the impossibility of the situation actually disqualifies me from being God. What you don't understand is I sent you into that crowd so that you could do the best that you could do in your own efforts. So that when you brought me the absolute best that you could do, you would know that your absolute best was never going to be enough to do the miracle. Because when this miracle happens, I want you to know very well and truly who is God in this situation. The impossibility of the situation doesn't disqualify me from being God. It is the very thing that makes me God. Impossible is where I start and miracles are what I do. I don't know what you're confronting today. I don't know the impossibility of your circumstance or your situation, but I'm here to tell you that we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who operates in the supernatural because that's what makes him God. I don't need a God that can do what I can do. I don't need a God that is created in my own image. I need a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that I could ever ask, hope or think. I need a God that can do miracles. So Jesus says, this is now the perfect place for a miracle. And when you think back to this moment, you'll always know that you really couldn't do much about it. Christine, when you thought it was impossible to start A21 six, seven years ago, when you had nothing, when you knew that you didn't know anybody, you knew nothing about trafficking, when when you didn't have resources, when you didn't have church connections, when you didn't have um, any kind of platform. Christine, I want you to remember how impossible that was. So when you go to your your 12th office in your 10th nation and when you get the Hero of Human Trafficking Award and when the European Union gives you another award and when British Airways that's flying to the World Cup, um, you know, in a month's time, every flight that goes uh, into Brazil from um, any country in the world that's a British Airways flight is playing an A21 video. It's called It's a Penalty. It's all about the fact that if you get caught with any um, person, you know, in terms of prostitution or underage ch- or children in Brazil, then you will it, it will become a penalty into, in your country of origin. You will be um, prosecuted where you come from and you'll make that happen. So, Christine, when all of that stuff starts happening, I just want you to remember... You weren't able to do it. I just want you to remember that the same God 
that did it way back then is the same God that's doing it now. I just want you to make sure that you're in enough faith that you remember all you've ever had to give me is five loaves and two fishes. I don't want you to ever think that anything that you're doing is anything more than five loaves and two fishes or you will limit yourself to the fruitfulness of only five loaves and two fishes. So I just want you to give me what will be a seed for me to do the miracles. So they gave him what was never going to be enough. And so then what happens? Jesus blessed what was never going to be enough. Scripture tells us he gave thanks. What do you do with your not enough? Because see, most of us, we just murmur, grumble and complain. I, I hate where I live. I can't stand my boss. I can't stand where I'm at in my job right now. I can't stand. What, all we do is murmur, grumble and complain. I wish I was married now. I wish God did more for me now. And then we expect God to bless what we curse. That's what we do. Could you imagine how your whole year would change if everything just changed with your confession? If you turn around and began to bless you, not enough. You know what? This isn't the house that I'm ultimately going to end up in. But I thank God right now we've got a roof over our head. This job might not be where I'm going to ultimately end up. But I thank God right now we've got some food on the table. You know what? This, this marriage, if you're married, might not be everything I've dreamt of right now. But thank God we're still in it and we're both still fighting. If you've got children, maybe my children are not in the house of God right now. But I thank God the hound of heaven is out there and he is chasing them down and he's going to bring them back. Maybe my single life, you know, this is not exactly how... I want it to be, but I thank God that he's still on my side. I'm going to begin to bless and not curse my not enough. And Jesus said, I'm giving thanks for these five loaves and two fishes. I don't know what your five loaves and two, what your not enough is right now, but why don't we begin to give thanks for what's not enough? Although he blessed what was not enough, the miracle of multiplication didn't happen until the breaking. I've discovered that most of the blessed people that I know in my life are some of the most broken people in my life. You know, the stuff that we think has disqualified us from being used by God, the stuff that we've done, the mistakes that we've done, the things we wish we had never done, the things that were done to us. But I've discovered that it's really out of those broken places. It's really out of those, uh, those places that we've tried to hide, we try to deny, that we wish never happened, that we think it's going to disqualify us. Those are the things that will qualify us to be used for the purposes of God. God is using me around the world, not because of my, my great strengths, but it's out of my broken places. It's the kid that was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted in Sydney, Australia. It's the kid that was sexually abused for 12 years. It's the kid that, was, that was, grew up in the poorest local government area in my state, the third poorest in my nation. It's the migrant, marginalized, second-generation Greek girl that was just ridiculed and scorned because, because she didn't speak English until she was five. It's the, it's the fact that she was a, a woman in a, in a culture that so much demeaned women. See, it's not out of those, those strong places, but it's out of those weaker, broken places. Romans 8.28 tells it, what happened to me was not good. Being abandoned and left is not good. Being sexually abused is never good. But God is able to work together for good all those things that were not good for His glory and His purpose. And it would be just like God to rescue an unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted chick from the back of nowhere and say, not only am I going to rescue you, but now you are going to turn around and open the prison doors and you are going to rescue others. I feel like Joseph felt when he spoke to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He said, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose, to save many people alive. The very 
very thing that the enemy has meant to steal, kill, and destroy your life is the very thing that God can use to bring glory to His name. If you put your broken pieces into the hands of a redeeming God, He will feed multitudes with those broken pieces. It's out of the broken places, church. It's out of the broken places. And while He kept breaking, they kept eating. And the Bible says they all ate and they were all satisfied. And normally that's where we finish this text, but you can't finish it because it doesn't finish till verse 52. It doesn't finish till we get to the place that Jesus jumps in a boat and realizes no one had a clue what just happened. So much of the church is there today. That we're in the midst of God miracles, where God is doing incredible things. Jesus is turning up. This house is part of that. Wherever you look, there's another service. There's another location. There's another great blessing. Here's another dream. Multitudes. Multitudes are being fed. But you could be in the midst of a miracle and not even see it. And the interesting thing is the Bible says they all ate, they were all satisfied. And then Jesus says, I'm about to send them into a storm. How do I know that? Because he's the omniscient God. He's all knowing. So he sends them immediately into a storm. Not all storms are from the devil. Some storms Jesus will allow us to go into so they can reveal to us what we really believe about him. He already knows what we really believe about him, but we often kid ourselves about what we really believe. So he says, I'm going to take you into the middle of a storm because I'm going to show you that you don't even believe the God that just did all this stuff today. Oh, you think you're awesome because you're in this environment and you've got all these loaves and fishes and you're taking food and it's being multiplied and everyone's eating it. But all that this shows us is that you can be in the midst of the miracles of God and not even know the God of the miracle. And we're about to find out that they didn't even know the God of the miracle, even though they were partaking of the miracle and distributing the miracle for an entire day on a mountainside before Jesus got into a boat he went on the mountain I mean he just put them in a boat but before he put them in a boat there were exactly 12 basketfuls of broken pieces scripture says left over I love this in the King James fragments scraps the fragments the scraps and Jesus goes I want you to go and pick up 12 basketfuls of the broken pieces of the fragments and the scraps and I want you to put them in a bag that's what a basketful was over your shoulder and I'm going to put you in a boat and you're going to go into a storm. They didn't know they were going into a storm. But have you ever wondered why, why did he want them to pick up the broken pieces? Why the fish heads? Why, why the, uh, you know, the, the breadcrumbs? Why the crusts? Why, why couldn't he just do the miracle again on the other side? Why, why do you need to pick up the broken pieces? Because Jesus was essentially saying, and he's saying to his church today, I want you to take the evidence of the miracle that I just did today. And I want you to take it into the middle of tomorrow's storm because I want you to remember that the same God that was with you on the mountain is the same God that's with you in the storm. The same God that did that then is the same God that's with you now is the same God that's going to take you over to the other side. See, what happens is in the middle of a storm, we begin to get fazzled. We begin to think, oh my gosh, what's happening in government? What's happening in Wall Street? What's happening in Hollywood? What's happening in world affairs? Oh no, what's happening with my partner or my friend? And we begin to think that because everything else is shaking around us, that suddenly God's left his throne and the whole thing is going to fall apart. But Jesus has been building his church for 2,000 years and the gates of hell cannot, shall not and will not prevail against the church of the living God. It doesn't matter what happens politically, economically, socially, relationally, in the education sphere. Jesus is still on the throne. The church was always built by him and for him and to his glory and whatever is happening around us, we don't need to panic. The same God that's brought NCC this far is the same God that's going to take 
take you to your destiny. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. It never was anything else. It never will be anything else. Christ alone is our cornerstone. So he says, get in that boat and take your scraps. And so he goes on a mountain to pray. And you go, why has he done that? Because this is the first mass miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels. And so now the ingredients for that miracle are in the stomachs of 15,000 people. And um, they're all going to go home and tell everyone, when your ministry is about to blow up, you better get on your face on a mountain and pray. That's what you better do. But Jesus looks at, and they're all straining at the oars. And about the fourth watch of the night, about three in the morning, Scripture says he goes out to them. I love that about Jesus. When he's going to come out to you in the middle of your storm, he doesn't go and hire a boat. He just climbs and walks over all the stuff that's threatening to drown you. He just walks right on top of it all. It doesn't faze him. And the good thing about Jesus, it's sort of a perk of being God. He can be with you in the middle of the storm while he's coming to you to rescue you from the storm. It's just a perk. That's what happens when you're God. And so he's able to do all of that. And so he was coming out to them and Scripture says that he got into the boat. And he was so disappointed. Not because they were freaking out about the storm but because their hearts were hardened. They had not understood the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And how much of the church does not understand the miracle of what we're in and what you're seeing? That in our, throughout Christian history, that this kind of multiplication, this kind of reproduction, this kind of influence, this kind of impact, where we say, hang on a minute, God. I don't want to. Just be in there on a Sunday. I want that to carry through on my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday, and my Saturday. I want the same God that did it then to be the same God that does it now. See, some of us we're comfortable with now. If we've been saved for five minutes, we might have come into the house of God desperate. But then you get a bit comfortable. You start to go, well, you know what? You start to rely a bit on, on, on some of the great, because you get saved and you start to learn better systems and you apply biblical truth and your life begins to get in better order. But you've got to ask yourself, when was the last time I was really in faith? When was the last time I, I, I really kind of went out there and saw something? Because, you know, I, I'm, a lot of us, we're good with now. But if the devil comes to me and, and talks to me about, I don't talk to him about now. I don't go, well, you know what, devil? I'm now this big global evangelist. I, I run a large anti-trafficking organization because you know what? Now it could change. The A21 could shut down tomorrow. I could never get another invitation again. But now, no, no, no. That's not where my confidence comes. Not on my accolades, not on my acquirements or what maybe I've accumulated. Or, no, that's not where my confidence is. I go to him if he wants to come and torment me. No, no, no. The same God that was with me in that hospital when I was left abandoned and unnamed and unwanted, that same God that kept me alive then is the same God that's with me now. That same God that somehow protected me through all that period of abuse where I've still got my right mind, where somehow He brought healing and redemption, that same God that was with me then is the same God that's with me now. The same God that was with me in the back of country towns in Australia with 20 kids in youth groups is the same God that's with me now. I don't need to go and hand out little cards and I don't need to go and invite myself anyway. The same God that brought me here is the same God that will take me there. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. It always was Christ alone. It always will be Christ alone. And if we could lift our eyes to Him, it does not matter what is happening around us. He says, get your eyes off the storm and off the waves and look down at your broken pieces. 
Has Jesus done anything for anybody but me in this place? Has he saved anybody? Has he delivered anybody? Has he healed anybody? Has he restored anything? Has he reconciled anything? Has he done anything? Well, that same Jesus that's brought you here is the same Jesus that's going to take you there. Christ alone is our cornerstone in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen and amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm so aware of your presence. And Lord, I'm standing in a house where it is just one miracle after the other. Just one miracle after the other. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the inspiration this house is to the global church. It's an apostolic house that you've planted. You're the cornerstone of this house. And Lord, we couldn't make up the stuff that's happened here if we tried. But God, our best days are in front of us and not behind us. The greatest days are still yet ahead. Lord, let us be a people that are all in to trust you, that say, look, all we've got is five loaves and two fishes, but Jesus, you could take it. You could take it and continue to multiply it and continue to multiply it and continue to feed the multitudes. So Father, I pray that every single person under the sound of my voice would truly, truly just have a a kind of recalibration in their spirit where if their eyes have gotten onto their circumstances and off their God, our eyes would once again be fixed on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That we would know no matter what's happening at work, no matter what's happening in our personal relationships, Lord, I'm not diminishing the pain or the challenge of those circumstances, but Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That Lord, if our eyes can stay focused on you, then, Lord, you will take us to our purpose and our destiny. You started this work of salvation and you shall bring it to completion. I'm convinced of that, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for your people. I thank you for the fact that the greatest days for this house are still ahead, are still ahead. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. God bless you all. Thank you.